This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. It is Sunday evening going into Monday morning. Folks, I apologize. I didn't put out a new show yesterday. I think I put out a new show every day for the last 20 days or something like that. But all of a sudden, I looked at the analytics yesterday. I do spy on you guys, okay? So I was looking at the analytics, and I said, what the heck nobody's listening they must be out christmas shopping or baking cookies and they don't want to listen to anything political or anything dark so i said i better not waste my voice my energy my time my creativity putting a show together and then all of a sudden i realized that megaphone who is our syndicator who pushes the show uh, out to apple and amazon and google and all these other technocratic platforms that megaphone owned by spotify is having an issue and I just got the message earlier. It said, hi there. We are experiencing the issue that is causing playback issues on podcast players. Our engineering team are actively working towards a resolution. Please subscribe to the Megaphone status page for updates. So it's not you folks, and it's not us over here at the Dustin Gold Standard or the fine folks over at pain.tv slash gold. It is, in fact, Spotify and Megaphone having issues. So our numbers go down. You guys don't get to listen. Listen, it's a horrible situation, but as I tell you on every show, we are fighting a battle on a battlefield that is owned by the very technocrats that we are battling, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so I promised you guys over the last 15, 16 episodes, we've been covering central bank digital currency. We've been covering universal basic income. We've been covering all the companies connected to that. We've been covering the Bank for International Settlements, the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the United Nations, the central bank infrastructure, and showing you exactly how far ahead these folks are in pushing forward with the central bank digital currency and why that is so dangerous. In fact, it is a system of total control. It goes back to technocracy and technocracy incorporated, founded by Howard Scott in the 1920s and 1930s, and it is a system of control, systematic control over the means of production and the distribution of goods and services, and central bank digital currency will allow them to do that. I told you when we wrapped up, we were going to have on a friend of mine, personal friend, great guy. He's been on the show a couple of times. He's been on the Thomas Paine podcast. He used to appear all the time at a show I used to produce called the Douglas Ducote Show. You could find that on YouTube. This is Dan Golvach, great guy. He's been researching 
theology, geopolitics, occultism, uh, politics, modern politics, history for over the last 40 years, folks. So Dan has been sending me a lot of stuff since we've been covering CBDC the last 15 episodes on spirituality and the darkness behind these demons, these prison planet wardens, these social engineers, these economic terrorists, these central bank mafia bosses, the technocrats, the transhumanists, these human hijackers and pirates and thieves and criminals and so i want to get into that with him we don't talk a lot about it here but as i've said to you on many occasions that once you remove the concept of god or of a creator of mother nature of the natural world from the equation it allows these monsters to step in and push their ideas like transhumanism which is transitional human that is transitioning from human to what they call post-human which is no human end of humanity engineering humans out of existence so dan's been doing a lot of research into what drives these folks beyond wealth folks i always tell you you could follow the money if you want to see how they incentivize 99.99 percent of the population to become their worker bees and help build the prison planet matrix around us but you have to look at the power and the control when you're talking about the point one percent that's what they are in love with they own the spreadsheets they control the printing presses whether it's going to be paper fiat currency uh, minted actual physical metal coins or digital tokens that they're going to mine in the form of central bank digital currency they control the monetary system therefore money itself means nothing to them they print it they mine it they control it it is about the control and it is about the power over people and so dan's been looking into occultism for many 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 years and so i wanted to bring him on the show and have an in-depth conversation about this because we don't cover it enough here at the dust and gold uh, standard so ladies and gentlemen please help me in welcoming good friend of mine good friend of the show dan Golvach. how are you sir merry christmas and i hope you have a great new year merry christmas dustin uh, uh glad to be on today and uh you know i've just been uh trying to keep uh keep busy uh you know this christmas season and uh it's a time of uh stress i call it stressmas sometimes because um have to uh come up with the money for presents and for taxes and for uh this that and the other and so uh it's just a, it's a demanding time of the year i will say this damn money cannot buy happiness but money can definitely make your stress levels go down and therefore make it a little bit easier to be happy but one of the things i realized over the last few years of my life that were quite rocky uh real rockier than any other time i've always worked for myself and obviously business goes up and down when you're self-employed when you're an entrepreneur uh when you're especially in the creative field so whether i was in graphic and web design or marketing or managing corporate comedy or involved with producing podcasts you know it could be very stressful in the creative worlds but uh, i've learned over the last few years happiness is in your heart and you have to 
uh, have a certain mindset that just remain happy. So although things go up and down and up and down and money obviously makes things easier if you know your bills are paid for the next few months, the next year, it allows you to focus on uh, on other things um, rather than just bills. But hey, we're in we're in a very tough time right now. The last time you were on the show, you talked about how some of the restaurants and the bars and the private events that you've been playing for for years as a musician uh, have sort of slowed down it seemed to be coming back after covid but a lot of my friends that are in the service industry and in the entertainment industry said the same thing really last year as covid started dying down uh, covid land the high school theater production was coming to an end there was sort of a boom for six months to a year now all of a sudden we have this orchestrated inflation more supply chain issues and the next thing you know all the money seems to be seizing up again well, you know, I would rather be rich and miserable than poor and miserable, but <laughs> I know what money doesn't buy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but no, it, it is, it is, a, it, it is stressless. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do enjoy aspects of it. I, I, you know, one thing that I really enjoy is I get one month out of the year, I can play a few Christmas tunes on the gig and, uh, you know, that's kind of fun. I don't, I don't get to play those years around uh, year round. Uh, so I can play, uh, some Elvis Christmas songs and Eagles Christmas tune and, uh, this, that, and the other. And I, I enjoy that. And I enjoy putting the lights up. My neighborhood is, uh, one of three neighborhoods in Houston that, uh, everybody puts up lights and you have themes on the streets and, so people come from all over to, you know, it kind of clutters up the street or there's a lot of traffic this time of year, but it's cool. If you look down my street, it looks magical, you know? Yeah. Last year, Maggie and I went to, uh, Oh yeah, we saw you last year around Christmas because we took a road trip from Maryland down to Texas to visit my mother uh, who lives near South Padre Island. And it, it was crazy, man. We were walking around, I think on Christmas Eve on the beach. It might have it wasn't super hot, but it, it might have been in the 50s or 60s. We had shorts on and tank tops in the picture and we had our Santa hats on and I remember we, we so t- took some cool pictures out there on South Padre Island. It said like Christmas in Christmas Christmas in July or something was the tagline on them. But I was thinking how cool it would be to do like a, a year round Christmas. So maybe you could come up with something where you play out on the beach, man. You go down to South Padre during the summer and just rock out Christmas tunes while everyone gets sweaty and drunk. Yeah, it's uh, this very ambiguous weather here. It's you know, one, it's very common this time of year that I, you know, I walk my dog every day. We, I, we, I live close to the wilderness area and I've sent you a lot of videos. You know, one day I can be out there in shorts and a t-shirt and the very next day I've got a jacket and a turtleneck on, you know, it's just that way in Texas. Yeah, but you, you put on the jacket and tur- you, you put on the jacket and turtleneck when it drops down to 83 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I could not survive in the uh, northern climate up there. I I, I don't think I could uh, just not acclimated to that. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's funny when I was in cor- corporate entertainment. One of my uh, best friends, Tim Waters, who 
portrayed Bill Clinton uh, going back to 1992. He was on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno 200 times. He's originally from New Jersey, and he moved down to Florida in his mid-20s, I think. So um, I remember when I first started working with him, and I, I talked to him on the phone, and then he was coming up to New York City to meet me. I was putting together uh, him as Bill Clinton, a Barack Obama, and a Sarah Palin. We were doing a private event, and it was kind of my first test to see if the three of them could get along and work together, and then I was going to build a comedy show out of it. And so he had told me on the phone he was from New Jersey and everything. I just remember him coming up from florida and it was i it was like 55 maybe 58 degrees out and i picked him up from the airport he was wearing like a parka and and, uh jeans and everything it was great he's like man i've been living in florida for the last 30 years he's like my blood is so thin i can't survive in 58 degree weather (laughs) right yeah (laughs) it was crazy so, um, other than that, so Dan, I'd like you, you were saying, uh, when we were just talking about while we were getting the show set up, uh, cause last time you did talk about sort of work slowing down, but you just told me crabby daddies. That was one of your clients for years that made a comeback after COVID land. And then they ended up shut, shutting it down, but then selling it and they opened back up. So you said December ended up turning out not to be too bad. You were able to book some gigs and everything seems to be okay. I, uh, I'm very thankful. It, it um, you know, it's not the best December I've ever had, but it, it, uh, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be last month. I've just had some last minute, uh, you know, opportunities come up. And, uh, so it's just, uh, you know, I, I'm rolling with it and I'm, I'm very thankful for it. You know, every time I play a gig, I make a point as I'm playing, when I'm playing my guitar and singing to, Thank God. I thank him for every gig I have and every dollar I make. I'm yeah, very that, grateful for it. No, no, that's really smart. I, let me ask you this before we get into the, uh, into the darkness here. Because uh, I've been talking about on the show, and, and as a uh, self-employed musician, uh, I know when you were younger you used to tour and stuff like that, but the last you know, a couple of decades, you're an original gig worker before the gig platforms actually existed, you know, comedians and magicians and musicians, you know, they're the original gig workers. Now, have you over the years adopted using booking platforms like gigsalad.com and gigmasters.com, or do you still have enough of a Rolodex of clients that you could call up on the phone? Do you deal with actual agents that you know, booking agents that you've worked with for the years? Is that part of the industry still around, or is everything done online now? Well, I, I basically derive my business from two sources myself i go out and i knock on doors and then those if i get into a door that door will generally open up other doors it get, makes me visible and that and i people see me i hand out my card i get a lot of private parties that way um and uh, and then i have a friend that i i toured europe with back 40 years ago uh that is a booking agent that uh i do a lot of booking through him but other than that uh, that's pretty much it, you know. That's uh, it's word of mouth. Uh, I don't have a a social media presence because I'm paranoid. I'm the only person on the planet with my name. There's no other Dan Bobach on the planet. So that you know, it, it just I've always had this paranoia, and I think it's maybe well founded. 
about getting on uh, the internet and, and letting you know the the people who monitor the internet uh, know that much about me. And uh, so, as long as I can, as long as I can pay my bills without having a big major social media presence, uh, I'm fine not having one. Well, yeah, it's it's hard to build a social credit score on someone who has a very small digital footprint. There is something definitely true to that. Uh, on the fact that you're the only Dan Golvach, I used to be, believe it or not, the only Dustin Gold. And back when I cared about my search engine optimization presence, uh, when I was managing all those corporate comedians, because I had high-end clients and booking agents and speakers bureaus calling me, I had to be really careful about my image. You know, they'd look me up and you're acting as a a comedy manager and you want to have a really professional image and then all of a sudden dustin gold the gay porn star pops up i'm not even kidding you and people used to they'd be weird when they talk to me on the phone and i'd have to say to them listen i'm not the gay porn star <laughs> and that was oh yeah that, that was the icebreaker for the conversation i'm like i was the only dustin gold i was bored with a unique name and then a gay porn star comes out of the middle of nowhere using my name yeah, what was the original uh, uh, social media before Facebook? What did they call it? Uh, MySpace. I can't even remember now. Yeah, I had one of those for a while. And, uh, you know, people just, you know, come up on stage and they do loot things and they take pictures and, uh, you know, and it can post pictures on your, uh, on your site or your, your page that, or misleading or, you know, that not anything that, uh, you actually did, but it just looks bad. And, uh, you know, I got kids that I teach and, uh, I just, I just never was comfortable with that. You know, it, it just, uh, it's just, uh, it's plus there's people. I don't, I don't want them to know where I'm playing. I don't want them to come out. <laughs> no, you know, you know that that's very unique. And I, I was just talking about it. I think in episode one fourteen, uh, the last episode, and I had mentioned this before on the show, is that we live now in this culture of technocracy and technocracy defined by the original technocrats going back to the 1920s was one the science of social engineering socially engineering us into the system and then two was the systematic control of the means of production and the distribution of goods and services and now we're in this culture of technocracy and it has to do with you know technology reaching exponential growth and people becoming addicted to all of this stuff But one of the things I mentioned to the audience is if you take, and this is all done intentionally, Klaus Schwab wrote about this in his 2016 book, The Force Industrial Revolution, all about the human cloud, which is the gig industry. So now you have all these blue-collar gig folks driven into the DoorDash, the Uber Eats, uh, the Instacart, all of these food service, grocery shopping, gig industry apps. You have creatives that are driven into Fiverr.com and Etsy.com. You have people that normally would do yard sales and go around to flea markets, 
driven into eBay and Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace. You even have all these new industries of virtual assistants, people that would normally be like a higher-end secretary at an office or some sort of a administrative aide to a CEO, now being driven into gig platforms for virtual assistants. You have people like yourself getting driven into, say, gig masters or gig salad, trying to do all their booking online or using Facebook to do that. You have people like me or Mike Moore or Doug Ducote that are content creators or would normally have to go out and try to get a job at a radio being driven into Spotify and Apple and all of these places. But what happens is as they are building the social credit score system around us in the United States, we focus so much on China, but actually it's already here. You could, if, if 95% of your work, Dan, came from, say, Gig Salad or Gig Masters, which are owned by the same technocrats that own all these other systems, and let's say they didn't like you because of what you said when you were on the campaign trail with Donald Trump or because you got news coverage and you said things that were not in line with the message they want to push you could wake up tomorrow and let's say you were making a hundred thousand dollars a year playing out and ninety thousand of that came from gig salad or gig masters you could wake up tomorrow and they could just shut your account down so i've been trying to tell the audience that i think if you you're an entrepreneur or you have a side hustle and you're bringing in some revenue that comes off of internet platforms like if you sell your custom-made t-shirts on etsy.com at the same time just like you diversify your investments i think you have to diversify your income and start to this is part of one of the realistic solutions start to figure out how to bring in uh, revenue that's also based on old-fashioned you know rolling decks and talking to people like you're doing you're out at a gig hand out business cards start to build a base of customers around you so if they cut off your online presence you still have the ability to sell whatever it is you do whether you play music or you make quilts or you make handmade soaps or whatever so you have two different sides uh, of your revenue coming in one from the internet business but if they cut you off you still have the ability to sell your business your product or your service locally and so I think you're, you're a great example of this. And I didn't even know we were going to get into this, but you've kept it old school. And when times are tough, at least you have the ability to pick up the phone or go out in your car and knock on doors and try to drum up some business. Otherwise, if you were just based off solely off internet marketing and they shut down your Facebook page tomorrow, all your customers are gone. So many people don't even add the customers to their phone or even write them down, which is what you should be doing so if you lose your contacts you can still reach people i'm really pushing people to do this is start to get local again oh i i write everything down yeah i have redundancy with that i i input it into my phone i write it down uh and uh i also put it on my calendar so i keep a notebook and i keep a calendar and then and of course i input it into my phone but you know I'm at most of the time, uh, most of my gigs, I mean, I still play with the band some, but most of my gigs are solo gigs. And so I've got a van full of equipment. I've got usually hundreds of dollars of cash on me. And it, I got to thinking, you know, so I'm letting everybody know that I'll be at such and such place on Thursday night from nine to one so a criminal can look at that and go okay well he'll be out he'll be loading his van he'll be loading his equipment in it in the alley behind this place at one thirty. 
so that's where I can meet up with him and take his cash. And his, it's just that you're, I just, I have, I've always had a paranoia and I, I think it stems from me just being the only person on the planet with my name. Uh, I just feel very uh, exposed on it. And I, I just, I've uh, always shied away from it. And well, as long I, as I can, you know, keep a roof over my head and feed myself, uh, pay my bills. I just would prefer not to, to, uh, really jump into that pool. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's interesting though, but I mean, yeah. And at the same time, it is a positive because like I said, you have the ability though to actually call up customers. I'm telling you, I know a lot of younger people that, um, you, you know, that trend in the last, I would say it's probably the last 15 years because I dealt with it when I was doing web design as my main source of income, where small businesses, even a, a family-owned independent liquor store or a small butcher shop, they would start actually getting rid of their websites and only operating their business if they needed even the local presence, like an informational website. They started only relying on Facebook pages. So they would create a Facebook page and they'd say, oh, I don't need a website anymore. I just rely on Facebook. I'm like, well, what happens? This is before, you know, you or I were even focused on dehumaning and deplatforming and demonetizing. I'd say, well, what happens if Facebook decides to just close their doors or they're going to get rid of the Facebook page? Like you've, you've built no book of business. You don't even have anything written down. I just ran into a lady the other day that I found through Facebook Marketplace. I was buying some old antique baskets to make these Christmas gift baskets for some people around here that we know. And this woman had this really cool old log cabin in her backyard. She had this outbuilding with all this cool antiques. And she seemed so old school. And I and then uh, when I was leaving, I said, oh, you know, I'd like to come back here, uh, show my wife. This is just a pretty cool place. And she said, oh, okay, just hit me up on Facebook Marketplace. And this lady's probably 60. So you figure she grew up without the internet. She'd be more like you or even the way I think because I'm the last generation to grow up without the internet in my pocket. And I said to her, you want to write my number down and stuff? She said, oh, no, no, I just do it all through Facebook. And I said to her, well, what happens one day if because she seemed to be sort of conservative and probably not really on board with COVID land, the high school theater production. So I felt a little safe talking to her. So I said, well, what happens one day if Facebook knows that they have, you know, I don't know, 20 million people in the United States relying on 10,000 to $40,000 of income a year off of their marketplace. And they decide to just shut it down to screw everyone. And then your hundreds of clients you met, you can't even get a hold of them. I said, if you wrote everybody's name down in a Rolodex and an old notebook, I said, at least if they shut you down, you would have the ability to start making calls going, Hey, Dustin, you bought baskets for me last year. I've got some really cool stuff. You know, I said, wouldn't it make sense? And she goes, you know, I never thought of it, but I'm actually going to start doing it. And she went in the house and got an old notebook and wrote my information down. Yep. Well, that's the snare of the internet. You know, uh, uh, I've always, I'm 60 and I've, I've lived, just a little bit more of my life, I guess it was, I was in my mid thirties when the internet really started becoming so, uh, dominant. Uh, and 
when I take inventory on this, I look at it as a whole, and I view that even though I, I, I you know, obviously I, there's a lot of positive things that stem from the internet that, you know, in terms of convenience and learning about things and knowledge and so forth, uh, I still see it as something that was designed ultimately as a trap, as a um, data collection uh, operation. As I think the CIA was probably involved. Um, and I, I just have, uh, have the internet, uh, and I have a very skeptical view of, of what it really is in its totality, you know, the, uh, totality of it. Yeah. I'm mean, like everybody that... else. I'm, I'm relegated to having to use it to a certain extent, but, uh, I try to minimize that. Yeah, well, let me, let me I, I have up on the screen, because I've covered it briefly here for the uh, video audience at pain.tv slash gold. I'm over at DARPA.mil. That's the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. So that's DARPA.mil. That's a military website. And we've covered it on a couple of shows. But, you know, it says right here on the government site, paving the way to modern Internet. ARPA Research, which was uh, sort of the beginning of DARPA, ARPA Research played a central role in the launching of the information revolution. The agency developed and furthered much of the consensual basis for the ARPANET uh prototypical communications network launched nearly half a century ago and invented the digital protocols that gave birth to the internet and as everyone who listens to the show knows darpa i mean super dangerous just one of the things they have is called the brain initiative which they're developing essentially they've been doing this since the 70s the same technology that we see elon musk rolling out under the brand Neuralink. darpa was working on that stuff back in the 70s two years ago elon musk unveiled his monkey mind pong project where he had a monkey playing pong inside of its head but we have videos of DARPA unveiling this technology back in 2003. So DARPA is a military developed and gave birth to the internet. Now I, I wanted to ask you, because I'm glad um, you had brought it up there over before we go, I, before we go into depth on it, let me just ask you overall internet net plus or net minus. Uh, 